Welcome to Global Answers. Please join us as we discuss the relevance of God's eternal word relating to events in this day and what it means to you. And now, your host, Lonnie Jenkins. Hello, friends. Welcome to another session of Global Answers. Brother Stephen Strew is here on my left, and he's going to be with us for another session. And if you've been with us, we've been for several sessions now on Bible shadows or types. And of course, you know, if I were to project a light behind my hand and you didn't see my hand, but you saw the shadow of my hand on the wall, you'd get some idea what my hand looks like. And then if I move my hand closer, closer, closer to the wall, soon you're seeing the shadow and the hand. If I keep going, you only see the hand. And that's the way Old Testament shadows are. We may get a glimpse of something that's to come, and then as it's happening, we can compare, oh, this is that. That's the way we find in the book of Acts. This is that, that they saw what it was in the Old Testament. And then, then pretty soon it's the reality, and you're living out the shadow. And so now with our session today, as we continue on on our shadows, I'd like to throw it over to our brother Stephen Strew here and let him start out with the, whatever he has on his mind. <clears throat> Thank you, Brother Lonnie. It's lovely to be back. Um, you mentioned about the shadow and the, uh, and the hand uh, casting a shadow. Um, one person said, and I don't remember who it was, that um, th as the Old Testament was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, um, one of the first things children learn at school are their letters. They have to learn their ABCs and they often make up songs and so forth. And what he said was that the Old Testament was like God teaching ABCs and uh, teaching uh, the letters. And uh, he said the strange thing is that almost no matter how you arrange those letters, they always spell Christ. <laughs> right. And uh, so no matter yeah. how the verses of the Old Testament, how, how many times we go back to them, we always see an, a picture of Christ somewhere mm -hmm. in, yes. in those uh, lives that were lived or the things that were done. And one of these uh, patterns, and we talked about it a little bit uh, last time, we were talking about the sacrifice, Jesus at Calvary and the types of that in the Old Testament. But we also talked about the, the turtle doves and the animal sacrifices that Abraham was commanded to do and then God passed between the, the sacrifice. Um, there's something that ties in with that back to when Jesus was baptized. And that's, we know Jesus was the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. So when Jesus was baptized, He was not only the Word made flesh, but He was also fulfilling the Word. He was living the Word out uh, in His life. And uh, when that was being done according to the will of God, Jesus was there at the appointed time. Remember, he was about 30, and that was about the age that a priest had to be in order mm -hmm. to be a, a priest. So everything was right on God's timetable. Uh, the the uh, the washing had taken place that, that was prescribed for a priest and for a lamb. So when everything was in place, the Holy Spirit came down like mm -hmm. a dove. And what we learned from that is that the Spirit will always come to the Word, mm -hmm. the Word in season, the, the Word for that day. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit will come down and identify with that. And another um, uh, representation of that just 
to help, I think, to understand the concept is the Bible is like a roadmap. The Word of God um, has the direction in it. The Spirit is like a compass. It always points to north. It always mm, points to Christ. Right. And that's what we're doing with these types is we're, we're seeing how the same Holy Spirit was busy all the way through the Scripture and it always points us to Christ. And so we need this compass and we need this roadmap mm -hmm. if we're to find our way uh, in this life uh, according to the will of God. And and that, I thought, uh, was a good example of of, uh, of how these types and shadows are not just academic, they're not just interesting, they're vital to our Christian walk. Mm -hmm. The dove coming to the Word, my mind jumps immediately to the book of Galatians, and this one may be a little deep for some, but in the book of Galatians it says, And because ye are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So we notice sonship was first. They did not become a son by receiving the Holy Ghost. They received the Holy Ghost because they were sons. Amen. We know that the Bible says that the Lamb's Book of Life was written before the foundation of the world. Where? In God's great thinking. And so then, therefore, out of God's uh, thoughts came the manifestation and a word is a thought manifested. So consequently, all those names on the Lamb's Book of Life have to materialize onto earth in flesh, that sons and daughters of God. And then all of those that, that have, have that little deposit of predestination, we'll cause it, call it down in the soul that they were on the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world, they will receive the word to their age and the spirit comes to the word. Amen. And so consequently, uh, that it's always the dove comes to the, the dove Lamb. comes to the word. The dove came to Christ, the word, and the dove comes to all of God's children. That Holy Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost anointing. Got another one, Brother Stephen. Just to follow on on that, Brother Lonnie, I think that's why when we are looking for the manifestation of the Spirit of Christ in our lives, there's a direct a directly proportional relationship between the work of the Spirit in our life and the amount of Word that we have mm -hmm. in our life. Yes. And so the more we take in the Word of God and the closer we are to the uh, truths of Scripture, the more we see the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in our life, the more we have the ability to, to love our enemies, to mm -hmm. do good to those mm -hmm. who despite, turn the other cheek, mm -hmm. go the second mile. All of that is the Spirit's working in us because the Word has found a place in our heart already. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we talked about uh, this uh, we, before we went on the air, the, the, uh, the predestination um, principle that we have throughout Scripture, which is that God knew us before the foundation of the mm -hmm. world, and He had planned, put that deposit of His Word in us from the beginning. We call it a seed. Um, that's... Uh, a, a difficult concept sometimes to to get a hold of. We, it's hard to to fully appreciate it. But if we can see God for following a pattern in other areas like we've been doing through these types and shadows, then we say, well, if he's following a pattern there, he must have known what he was going to do mm -hmm. later on in time. If we see blood on the doorpost um, when Moses has the first Passover, and uh, we know that our Passover, which is Christ, would have a representation similar to the blood on the doorpost. Mm -hmm. So God must have known the end from the beginning. And I believe that you wanted to talk on the cherubim, and that's the same principle. We see cherubim all the way mm -hmm. through Scripture. Yeah, on the, on the subject of cherubim, uh, I normally start out in the book of Revelation, but this time we're going to end up 
in, in the book of Revelation because I'd like you to see God's pattern since we're talking about shadows. And in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, when, when Adam and Eve are being uh, escorted out of the Garden of Eden because they've fallen, it says that God placed uh, an angel with a s uh, sword and cherubim uh, at the entrance to Eden to keep the way, uh, to keep the way. And that's the important part, to Amen. keep the way. We always think of them, they're blo like blocking the way. You're never going to come in here. No, it didn't say that. They, at that time, they were not to, not to get back to that in the garden because in the garden was the tree of life. Of course, the tree of life is Christ. They're the only source of, or of life is Christ. And so they were not to get back in there at that time. But we find all the way over in the book of Revelation, unto him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. So if the, if the first book they're being blocked from the tree of life, then something has to keep the way to the tree of life because the reward over in Genesis to the overcomer is he will get to eat of the tree of life. So let's watch our shadows as we go through. Now we could make it a Bible verse by verse kind of thing, but I don't want to do that to you. It kind of bogs down a little bit. Though when I get to a certain place, I do want to take you into scriptures when we get a little bit further along. But we find out that now we've started in Genesis and they're called the cherubim. And their, their assignment, keep that in mind, is to keep the way of the tree of life. And then, of course, now I already said I wasn't going to do much scripture, but I want to jump there first. And that's in Exodus uh, chapter 25, where, where uh, God is giving Moses the directions on how to build the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we know that the, the ark, of course, types Christ, as we'll see here, because so we'll linger just a moment on the, on the ark, because it becomes Im important to us. So Exodus 25, starting at verse 10. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood. So now the ark, uh, that was the ark of the covenant, and it'll be described as we go on here, in case you're not familiar with that. Now, in, in scriptural symbology, wood types humanity. So the, this ark, which is going to hold the word of God, is, is typed with, built by, out of wood, humanity. And then in verse 11, it says, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. And of course, gold types deity. So humanity overlaid with deity, wood overlaid with gold. That's, of course, Jesus Christ, the humanity of Christ. And, and he was totally, totally God, totally man principle. And then now, as it goes on down in verse 17, to get closer to our subject, now we're working our way, and thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. So mercy is all God. And that mercy seat then was over on this top of this box, this wooden box. And then later in the box was placed uh, a golden pot of manna and Aaron's rod that budded and brought forth fruit and the tablets of stone that Moses uh, had, had with the word of God, the commandments typed out or carved in it. And, <clears throat> and so now, so over on the top of this is this mercy seat and inside is the word. And the word can easily condemn us if there's no mercy. And so consequently, the mercy seat then is over the top and it's of pure gold. So mercy is all God. And then verse 18, and thou shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. So the cherubims have to do with deity, but it's beaten work, which of course beaten is work. So therefore it's a work of God. 
It's not just God, it's a work of God that's beaten gold. And then they're going to be up here over this, over this uh, mercy seat, mercy seat down here, and they're up here with their wings, wings touching each other over the mercy seat. And in many places, God says, I'll speak to you from between the wings of the cherubim over this, over this mercy seat. And then we'll read on now. Verse 20. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one toward another, toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And then verse 22, And I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony. And so now there's our principle. So this work of God is now, remember we're keep the way of the tree of life. So here's a symbolism now that these cherubim have absolutely watching over their word. Their faces are looking right down to this mercy seat and below the mercy seat is the word which can give you life or give you death. Blood on the, blood on the mercy seat meant that there was forgiveness, but pure word can send us to the place we don't want to go. And so here's now symbolism again, the cherubim watching over, watching over the word. So there's our... our uh, mercy seat again, and our two cherubim doing their work. And then if we go over into Numbers chapter, well, excuse me, if we went a little bit further, we'd find that the cherubim are engraved on the embroidery work inside the, inside the temple because they're surrounding where the word is and, and symbolizing keeping the way, and they're carved in, in the wood up on the high uh, symbolism, keeping the way the cherubim are always there. Then if we go over to Numbers chapter 2, it, it talks about this, this entire Old Testament tabernacle now is set in the midst of the camp of Israel. And when the tribes are going to gather around, around this uh, tabernacle and set up their camps, then the standard bearer for, for a certain set of tribes runs to his location on the north, south, and east, and west of the of the uh, tabernacle and he, he places his standard, that's a, f uh, a flag with a symbol on it, in, in his place around there and then certain tribes are together on the north, south, east and west of that. And we find that the symbol on those flags is a lion, an ox, a man and an eagle. It doesn't mean anything to you now, but we're going to find in the book of Ezekiel that this is the four faces of the cherubim. The cherubim has four faces, that has great symbolism too. And so now, so now we know that these cherubim have the four faces, and then each each side, not all of it, or not all of it was on a side, but each side had a representation. So now the children of Israel become the representation of a nation that's to keep the way of the tree of life. They're, they're to preserve this word. Many some of the religions, you know, teach that the Jews uh, deliberately that twisted the word of God to make it say what it did not want to say. No, sir, God's cherubim have watched over this. The way is not, is not going to be lost. And then we get into Ezekiel chapter 1. And Ezekiel said he was down by the river of Chebar. And he begins to describe these, these creatures that he's seeing. And he calls them living creatures. And it says that each one of them had four faces, like a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. And some places it says a lion, a, a calf, uh, a man and an eagle. And so now these four-faced creatures, now he said he sees them and he goes on to describe how that they are around this throne of God that he sees in heaven with, uh, that's reflecting the colors of amber and all the beautiful colors of God. But these four-faced cherubim are right there. And then, then they are being transported on wheels. 
And we noticed that wheels now, of course, that, that's, birds don't use wheels. So consequently, wheels represent earthly travel. So these cherubim now are doing their work on earth as these wheels represent their, their earthly, earthly journey. Much more symbolism there, but we're not going to get into it all. And then in Ezekiel chapter 10, again, Ezekiel says he was down by the river Chebar and he describes these lion, ox, man, eagle, and how they were working and what they were doing. And then he goes on to say that, and these are cherubim. So now that's the first time we find out that the relationship between what he saw in chapter 1 and all what we saw in Genesis, that it's the same thing, it's cherubim, Ezekiel chapter 10, ties the two together now that these four-faced creatures, in some places called cherubim, in some places called living creatures. Now, if we jump all the way over to the book of Revelation, this is where I want to go next. So we'll, we'll take a look over there in the, in, in the book of Revelation. And it says, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Now, you're, you're, if you're using another Bible than the King James Bible, it'll say four living creatures. We're full of eyes before and behind. So let's, these are cherubim, as you'll see in a moment as we continue to read. So these four living creatures, there's four, four beasts, are full of eyes before and behind. We go through the scripture and like when Adam and Eve sinned, it says their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked. And we go on in, in other places and we describe what eyes do. They represent intelligence. Amen. You gain knowledge. So this creature has eyes before, behind, and within, which means he knows what was, what will be, and what is. So it's a very intelligent creature because remember, it's made of beaten gold, so it's God's, God's handiwork. And so, <clears throat> so here it is, the first beast was like a lion, the second beast was like a calf, third beast had the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings. So now we've shifted from wheels to wings. So now it's a more heavenly being and not so, not so earthly as it was in the tabernacle. It was in an earthly journey. It was moving around. But now it's become more heavenly because it's, it's tied with the work of the Holy Spirit. And the six had six wings and they were full of eyes within. So, so there's our before, behind, and, and within. In verse 6 it said before and behind. And in verse 8 it says within. And then they're there worshiping before God day and night. Then it goes on with other statements about it in, in chapter 5. But as we get over into chapter 6, now this is the part I really wanted to get, get to you. Because chapter 6 makes no sense to you at all if we, if we don't understand where this is all coming from. And so now we've built our way up through finding that this four-faced creature, lion, ox, man, eagle, that this four-faced creature has an assignment to keep the way of the tree of life. So now we begin to get into Revelations chapter 6. Now for those of you that have read many different books on Revelations chapter 6, they almost all call this the four horse riders of the apocalypse. And they talk about this subject as if it's the judgments that are going to take place during the Great Tribulation. And so they place all of chapter 6 into the Great Tribulation. 
But we've, we have found when a prophet sent a message to, to bring us back to the word, back to the gospel as Paul preached it, the Malachi 4 ministry that was promised in this last day, then we found when it was given to us by thus saith the Lord, not by theology, but by thus saith the Lord, it took on a totally different meaning. And we find then that these four living creatures are anointings on the seven churches of Asia, the seven church ages that are in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3, which as we've told you before, Ephesus through Laodicea, seven churches of Asia, Gentile churches, that their condition was prophetic or seed of ages to come. And then therefore God uses a particular anointing over a particular age to accomplish what he wants to stand against the enemy, uh, which is, of course, the Antichrist working in, e in each age. In Revelations chapter 6, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of a thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, a crown was given him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So it says here, just the verse 1 says, one of the beasts said, come and see. But then in verse, verse 3, verse 5, and verse uh, seven. 6, 7, yeah, we find then that it, that it tells us that it was the second, third, and fourth beast, which we already found in, in chapter 4, was the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. So therefore, the lion in verse 1 is telling John, John the Revelator, come and see. And he sees this white horse go forth. Now, the riders of the white horse, and excuse me, the riders that are coming through here and the horse they're riding on, I'll just put it briefly to you. We'll go into it in more depth in another session. This is the Antichrist spirit through the ages fighting against the church. And it's, and it's the cherubims that are telling them, come and see, to warn the church about this Antichrist spirit. And so, so we can overlap the churches this way. And again, we can go into it in more depth, or you can write to us if you have a question. The lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. The lion, of course, represents the lion of the tribe of Judah, and that's Jesus Christ, the Word. So consequently, that was the anointing on the first three church ages, Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamos. And so Paul's gospel carried the church for three ages, and that was the anointing that was on the church. And then when we watch the ages and tie it back to history, we find that, that starting at the Council of Nicaea in the Pergamos Church Age, when we go into the next church age, Thyatira, that, that then we find this woman Jezebel. And of course, now here comes a false church. And then God has to switch the anointing because that false church is going to threaten the people with their lives, take their lives, torture them, whatever he needed to do to get them to convert to their belief rather than the actual belief. So God switched the anointing then from the, from the lion to the ox, an animal of, of sacrifice, a beast of burden, so that the people could, could withstand what the Antichrist spirit was doing during the, during the Dark Ages. God anointed them that they were willingly, if you've ever read Fox's Book of the Martyrs, you see the people willingly giving their life. And then... And then after, at the close of the Ox Age, which, which a bit would have been the Dark Ages, we find the face of a man then in verse 5. 
And of course, the man represents intelligence. Man is supposed to be very, very sharp mentally. And so that's when God poured out the intellect, quickened the intellect of a, a Martin Luther to begin to see the error of the ages. At the same time, he quickened the mind of a man named uh, Gutenberg, I believe it was, that invented, invented the first printing press so that now Luther, desiring to translate the Bible, now it could be printed and distributed to the people. And so the ages of the Reformation are all under the man anointing. And if you read the books of the authors that were written during, during the uh, uh, Reformation period, my, their, their mind was so quick and sharp on so many things. And of course, the spirit of debate was strong in those days because the mind was so strong and they were debating this scripture versus that scripture because it was a man anointing. But then when we get down to, to this period where we are now, <clears throat> in verse 6, it says, I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny. See, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So the scripture here, here, wheat represents the staff of life. And so that represents Christ. And so consequently, here's, here's an antichrist spirit that's charging for people to try and find their way into heaven. And, and, and that same spirit, we find it going on, on today. And then it says, hurt not the oil and the wine. The oil, of course, that's the, that's the uh, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And wine represents stimulation by revelation of the word. And then in the verse 7, and when he had opened the fourth seal, the fourth beast. Now that's the eagle, that's the prophet. And that's the one that for the first time in all the ages, he identifies who the Antichrist is. He says, I'll tell you who he is. He's death. And that's what's been writing all the way through. And I'll just be blunt with you, friends. The death that was writing through all through the ages was organized religion which continually was under the leadership of man rather than the leadership of the Holy Ghost. And God has sent us a message to, to take us away from the leadership of man and bring us back to the leadership of the Holy Ghost in the framework of the Word of God. See you next week. And now we see the work of the cherubim. It's an anointing on the church to give the church a nature, the supply that they need that they may keep the way of the tree of life. And we notice under the fourth seal here in Revelations chapter 6 that the anointing of the age is an eagle. That's a prophetic ministry. And that eagle has come to tell us who the writer is that none of the other anointings discovered. It was just a writer. But the fourth one, he tells us it's death. And then when the anointing actually came in this age, it tells us what the anointing is and what it told us, and that is death. That death is organized religion. Once we place a man at the head of the church instead of the Holy Ghost, the church dies. And it's been going on through the ages. The call comes, come out of her, my people. Friends, today's program is one of an eight-part series entitled From Shadow to Reality. This series is available on three DVDs and may be ordered by writing to us at Global Answers, 1695 Stewart Road, Lima, Ohio. Our zip code is 45801 here in the USA. 
Or you may visit us on the web at globalanswers.us. Please take some time to look around our website. You'll find a variety of files for downloading, as well as a link to our resource center containing many Christian books, CDs, and DVDs. Thanks for joining us, and may our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.